0: Well, I spent last week bobbing around the ocean, and uh, I was um, at one point chest deep with my son-in-law uh, in the Atlantic Ocean, and the thought came to me of a possible shark attack. And I thought, my first thought was, I've got a 50-50 shot out here. <laughs> it's either me or him, unless we've got a real hungry fish. So the thought came to my mind, What would do? what would I do if If my son-in-law was attacked by a shark, what would I do? How would I react? And I guess it came down to what particular part of his body was taken off would depend on my reaction. If it was his head that was bit by the shark and taken off, I would probably just let the shark have the rest of him. I hate the thought of doing a funeral over a headless corpse of my son-in-law laying there. If he... If he took his arm off, I would probably let the shark continue to have him. Because what good is a one-armed drummer? Now, he probably can drum with one arm better than most men can with two, but the problem is the novelty of it. No one would listen to his drumming because they're fascinated with a one-armed drummer. They just would watch his one arm. It reminded me of uh, when John was in high school. He played tennis against a fellow who had one arm. And the guy was really good. But nobody thought about how good a tennis player he was. They just thought about his one arm. So I would let the shark have him. Now, if he grabbed his leg and took his leg off, I'd probably pull him in. Because he could hobble about and still play drums. But alas we both made it into shore and the scenario didn't need to be played out. What's what's the problem with that whole story? The problem with that whole story is my decision to rescue my son-in-law is based on what he could do for me. Sometimes we think about God like that. I'm loved by Him if, he loves, if I love Him. I'm loved by God because I'm valuable to Him. I can actually do something in the church that is so far away from the God that we serve. We are not valued by our Creator for anything that we can do. Is he really impressed with any of us? He loves us intently simply because we are his. That's a hard hurdle to to jump, isn't it? That's a hard thing in the mind to get over, isn't it? Because we're taught when we're really little, if you're a good little boy or if you're a good little girl, Or if you're a good employee, you keep your job. If you're a good wife, you get to stay married. If you're a good husband, you get to stay married. But God is not like that. Turn with me, if you will, to the Gospel of John, chapter 14. It's a hard hurdle to get over. The essence and core and source of everything that he talks about When he talks about God, when Jesus talks about himself, is this beautiful thing called intimacy with him. John chapter 14, and go with me down to verse 20. Find your eyes upon verse 20 and then look back up. John chapter 14, verse 20. The the deeper I get into the Gospel of John, the deeper I get into Jesus' teachings at this point, the the less commentators help me. The The less commentaries do anything for me. Most of what men write on these verses is so shallow. It's a waste of time. These verses are better meditated on by the believer with the Holy Spirit's help, to show him this stuff. Look at John chapter 14. This was a favorite phrase of Oswald Chambers. Jesus said, in that day, you shall know. Chambers would say, in this day is that day. This day is that day. What day is Jesus referring to? He's referring to the day of Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit brings the life of Jesus Christ into the soul of the believer. He's talking about that day. You will know. How powerful is that? How intently deep is that? In that day, He doesn't say you will experience some emotion. In that day, you won't be caught up in some heavenly vision. He says, "In that day, you shall know." It is the deepest part, this knowing. Well, what know what? Look at verse twenty. In that day, you shall know that I am in my. Father. This is not a knowledge of the mind. This is a knowledge of the soul. This passes through the mind and becomes fabric to the life. I I think the best illustration we can know is the knowing of a husband with his wife. It's said that Eve knew his wife and she gave birth. The intimacy of a man and his wife is the knowing. It's the best thing we can think of when we think of this knowing. We will know that Jesus is in his Father. This is the core and basis of of the, this, is, this is the foundational block of the structure of all of Christianity. Because Christianity isn't a contract between you and God. It is based in security with the relationship of a son in his father. That is the core of the whole deal. When the son gets out of the father... We are in big trouble, but that will never happen. The greatest thing you need to know is Jesus is in his Father. Not with his Father, in his Father. That's everything. In that day, you will know that, and then after you know that, look what he says. And you in me. Jesus didn't make it very complicated, did he? I am in my Father. You are in me. That puts us in a pretty good place, doesn't it? You didn't do anything to get there. You know that. You didn't read your Bible so many verses in order to get to a place where you're close to God. You didn't pray for for you didn't pray for weeks. You didn't serve the Lord for years in order to get to this place. You got placed there the moment you got saved. You got placed in Him based on His work in you. Done. Finished. Nothing else to add. No man gets you closer to God. You can't get any closer than in. It's done. Finished. We don't serve Him to get closer to Him. Serving Him comes out of knowing how close you are to Him. You don't read your Bible to draw close to Him. You are so you're in Him. You in Him. When did you get placed in Him? The moment you got saved really got placed within before the foundation of the world. We were in Christ before we were even born. Incredible. How blessed are we? Unbelievable. Well, what about this life? How do we live it? Look at the third in verse 20. I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Isn't that beautiful? That's why I'm telling you no commentary will help you with this stuff. What are you right about that? When the Holy Spirit shows you that and it's pressed upon your soul and you know it, no downcast moment will ever take you out of this deal. No emotion or mood or discouragement can ever pull you out of this. You know wake up in the morning crusty eyed miserable feeling you're in him he is in you in that day you will know that well let's let's read on cuz i've just got to get down a little bit further take a look at verse 21 whoever has my commandments notice it doesn't say whoever does the commandments doesn't say that. Doesn't say it. Whoever has, doesn't say it doesn't, has them, possesses them, wrapped around the heart. You know what's there will always come out. You know that. You can't help it. An apple tree will always grow apples. That which is there will always come out. The question isn't what we're doing, the question is what, what's there. Whoever possesses, has my commandments and keeps them. What are these commandments? Well, he doesn't say. They're certainly not the Old Testament commandments. We are free from the law. What are these commandments? Whatever he tells us on any given moment are his commandments. However he directs us, either through the word or through his spirit, you're doing something in violation of this book he has not commanded you to do, and you're not keeping, you're not possessing, you're not, the heart is not right in that way. Whoever notice, verse 21, has my commandments and keeps them, This is the evidence. It is he who loves me. Loves me. Keeping a commandment doesn't make you love him. The fact that you do love him causes you to do whatever he tells you to do. I have have confronted those who have claimed to know Christ, who have lived in open sin, and they have shrugged their shoulders and walked out That which is there always comes out. A true believer, when confronted with sin as seen in the Word of God, will always respond with conviction and, and repentance. Always respond. When choices and the little things of life are to be made, they are always made with a reflection of the heart of the love of Christ there. Always. Because I'm telling you, whatever's there always reflects. Let's read on. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now, we're not loved to the Father because we love Him, but there's this this circular relationship that's going on. We receive the love of God. We throw the love of God back to Him, and there's this beautiful cycle that's going on. As we reflect the heart that He has loved back to love Him, and as we love him, he loves us. And the more we walk with him, the more we know. And there's this beautiful relationship. And look what, look, what, look, what, look what we ask in the next verse. Judas, not Iscariot. Take a look at it. Judas, parentheses, I love this, not Iscariot. This was the first century, and the name of Judas was a bad deal. If you had the name of Judas, that was kind of a bad deal. I mean, I've never gone to a delivery room and and looked out into the nursery and saw, oh, look, the little baby's name's Judas. But back then, it was a little too late. You had that name, so the parentheses is clearly, John protects him, not Iscariot. Said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? you believe it. He missed everything right over his head. He went seven or eight verses before when Jesus said, I'm gonna come and manifest myself to you. The world's not gonna love this. The world's not gonna love me. That was seven verses ago. And yet, when there was a pause in the action, Judas says this Wait a minute, what's what's going on with the world? Why are we get the man of white? What's how are we gonna reach them? How are you gonna show yourself to them? How are we gonna build the church? How are we gonna minister to this world? Do you see the see the mindset is so wrong and so out of it? He's talking about intimacy with the Father, intimacy with him, I'm in you, you're in me, and you ask, we we ask that question. And if you go up, the verses down from there, he's gonna go right back into. Loving me and me loving you. We don't get it, do we? It just goes right over our head as, as believers. We want God to straighten America out, don't we? <laughs> we want God to reverse that last decision up to the Supreme Court. He's not going to do it. God has never been in the nation building business, never. He's been in the church building business for 2,000 years. He's not going to straighten the culture out. He's not going to straighten this world out. This world hates him. So go on and talk about all how we're going to manifest Jesus to the nations. They spit right in his face just like it did 2,000 years ago. He's into intimacy with individual people that he has called out of those multitudes. I love the questions of the apostles because there are questions. Their foolish interjections are our foolish interjections into the process. And how patient Jesus is with Judas, not Iscariot. How patient he is with us. Christianity is not about there, it's about there and there. That's it. That's the whole deal right there. Don't think of Christianity as a smorgasbord like Piccadilly where you go down and you pick a little bit of prayer and you pick a little Bible study and then you need a revival over here and then, and then you got this over here. I'm going to take a... Di- oh, I haven't been sharing the gospel with the lost, you know, so I'm going to dip a little bit out of that pot over here. That's, that's a popular pot. And so you go down the line and you pick a little of this and you feel like taters today, so you get some taters. Christianity isn't about picking down a line. It is about one thing and one thing only intimacy with Jesus Christ it is about number one Jesus is in my I am in my father that's the basis of the whole deal and then you get placed in him your history becomes his history his crucifixion is now your crucifixion his burial is your burial his resurrection is your resurrection and all of a sudden you come out of that resurrection life and you have his life in you That's it. That's the whole deal. There is no other deal. Everything that he's going to do in this world in reaching the lost starts and ends right there. Because as he is manifested in the lives of believers, as they're focused fully on him, only on him, always on him. Away from self, away from anything I can do because I can't do anything to add what he already did. It's an insult to add my effort and works to it. As I focus on what He has done, He manifests Himself through the lives of the believers without us even knowing it's going on. You react differently. You live out the Sermon on the Mount because His life is operating in you because you're only looking to He is in my Father. I'm in my Father. I am in Him. He is in me. It's all done. Isn't that Beautiful. But we're all kind of Judas, not Iscariots, aren't we? What are we gonna do? You know, we're down here, we gotta do something. We gotta, you know, just gotta build this thing. We got to, you know, why how are we gonna reach? How are we gonna reach we'll reach him when we focus on him and him only. Why is there so much carnality in the church? Why is the church lethargic today? Why is the church kind of sluggish? Because we've taken our eyes off the centrality of Christ in all things. And we focus it on ourselves and our effort and our works, and what we can do. It's not Jesus and us. It's Christ in us. It's completely different.